Okay, welcome everyone to Drisha's Yomi Yun. Uh, this class, uh, I'll give you a little background about the class. Uh, the Talmud finds Esther in the Torah through a play on word in the curses of Sefer Devarim. And I will hide, haster astir, my con continence on that day. Everywhere, elsewhere, the Talmud teaches in the name of the Rav, of Rav, that to be a Jew, one must experience God's hiddenness. Why is that? And what does it mean to experience God's hiddenness? And once we experience it, what are we to do? With that, I'll turn this to you, Ravanit Sarna. Hi, everyone. Um, happy almost Purim. Thank you so much for coming out tonight. Um, we often think of Purim as this very like lighthearted, fun children's holiday. Um, and what I always used to try and remind people is that Purim is like really, like we, we do things on Purim that children enjoy, but even those things are scratching at these like very deep, in some ways kind of dark, complicated themes. Um, and tonight we're gonna be talking about one of them. We're gonna be talking about Hastara, which is God's hiddenness. Um, and we'll look at the first kind of earliest sources about that um, tonight together. Um, but I just wanna tell you a little bit of a story by way of a beginning of how I, Four years when I was in yeshiva, I um, read Megillah, Megillah Esther every year at a women's prison, a maximum security women's prison, um, which was a very intense thing to do. Um, but they needed, there were women there who were from, and they needed someone who would come read Megillah Esther. And um, for me to spend my like Purim day for four, every year for four years walking into a prison with nothing except our, our Megillah Esther and walking into this place of just like extreme kind of hiddenness. Um, the place itself was hidden, you know, even from the road, you wouldn't know that you were walking towards a maximum security prison. Um, and even once you're there, like prisons are very like hidden from the rest of our society. The women there feel as though they've been forgotten. I remember I came back the second year and they were sort of like, oh my gosh, you remembered us. And I was like, I was here for like, two hours last year you remember me and they were like nobody remembers us um so just these places this this location of like extreme sort of hiddenness forgottenness um and that to me really forefronted this theme of Purim which is this theme of the hidden face of God so with Rabbi Silver in part two of this which by the way um just on like a technical note is actually a different zoom room so we're gonna um for just for like the purposes of our kind of audio library and 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 the longevity of this year so i'm gonna end just a few minutes before 8 30 so people who want to go to rabbi silver's can can log off of this and hop onto there before um before he starts at 8 30. um but um so we'll be we'll be learning with him about really like the hastara in megillah to stare so where is god in the megillah um, that's really the question with him. And um, in this year, we're talking much more broadly about Hasara. We'll look at different perspectives throughout Jewish history, both on kind of the main source about it, which is in Devarim, but then we'll also look at Isaiah, and then we'll look at Talmudic sources, um, and we'll look at some like medieval commentaries on all of that. And then we will also um, look at some Hasidic sources, uh, two Hasidic sources, which we definitely need to get to all before 825. So, uh, so I'm very excited to, um, to jump into that. But I think kind of for me, the orienting question here is when we have this course in the book of Devarium where God says, I will hide my face, 
um, like, what does that curse mean, right? We have lots of other curses in the Torah, which are very concrete kinds of curses. You will be sold as slaves, you will starve, the land will kick you out. We can kind of all understand what those mean. Um, and then we have this one very theological curse of God will hide God's countenance, God will hide God's face from us. Um, and so like, what does that what does that mean? And then we'll see in, in Isaiah, we'll see God almost identifying God's self as a God of hiddenness. We'll see achin ata kal um, which uh, you might know if anyone has like any Chabad background, that's like, as far as I understand, that's like the Chabad paradigm is Achina um, which is this line from Isaiah. Um, and um, and and again, like, what does that, what does that mean? So not, it starts out a curse and then it comes to be this kind of like identifier of, of God, the way God kind of self-identifies, which is like really truly very fascinating and then what does it mean to live in a world where our you know one singular god is is hidden um and so we're not actually oh what i what i do want to say is there's a lot a lot a lot a lot a lot of holocaust theology around this question and that is actually not what we're going to be looking at like every single thing that we're going to look at today stops before the holocaust um uh just because you can't do kind of both in one tour so that's like a whole different um, a whole different set of things would be to do to do a class on Holocaust. Yeah. Um, you, you have, I, I think this was posted somewhere. It was emailed out to people who registered far enough in advance, at least. So uh, hopefully, people who have trouble reading along here can can still uh, can still get access to it. Um, okay. So the the Gemara says, and this is the hook to Megillah Esther. The Gemara says in in 139b, you have the series of play plays on words. So you have the people of Papunya speaking to Ramah. And it almost sounds like it, it, either it's a joke, like either it's like perm Torah, or the, like who are these people? Like we don't know very much about these people. Maybe they're like really not knowledgeable. Maybe they like really don't believe in things. Hard to know. Hard to know what's actually going on here. But, but you have it's kind of fun to read it almost as like a play on words though. I mean, it's certainly a play on words, but almost as a joke, like what, but like the first question is Moshe min ha-Torah minayin. Like where, where do we know about Moshe from the Torah? Which is like a, almost like ludicrous question because the Torah is full of Moshe, but it's sort of like, okay, before Moshe came around, where was Moshe kind of prophesied, let's say, in the Torah? So we have in Brishi Bav, Veshegehu Basar, um, which means for that he is also is flesh, and then that's uh, that's where like the years of people kind of get capped. Like you know, in the early days of Brishit, you have people living like four hundred years or whatever, and then here again, okay, okay, people are only going to live one hundred and twenty years. Um, but the Bishagan and Moshe share the same gematria, so you have all the same letters except for the Hey and Moshe and the Bet and Gimel and Bishagan. And um, and those add up to five and height of five. Cool. Okay. But then we get to Haman Minatora Minayin. Where do we know of Haman in the Torah? And the answer is Hamin Ha'itz. Um, and then from um, where do we find allusion to Haman? Have you eaten of the tree? It asks um, in in the in the story of of Brigid and the serpent and Adam and Eve. So we have Haman, Hamin Ha'itz, right? That's a very kind of clear play. Esther, Minatora, Minayin. Where is Esther in the Torah? And this is where, where we're going. 
um, the response is I will hide my countenance. Um, and then we have Mordechai, so right, we have Moshe, and then we skip straight to the perm stories. We just had Haman, Esther, and now we have Mordechai. Mordechai means Mordechai, as it says, blowing myrrh. And we translate Mordechai in the courtroom as Miradachia Mordechai. Um, so that is that is where we find all of these perm characters, all these characters in the Gelatistan found in the Torah, but I want to zoom in on, on Esther. So here's where this curse comes in. It's not necessarily, it's in, it's in Parshat um, Vayelach. So this is like really right at the end. And Hashem is kind of like setting up, um, setting up Parshat Ha'azim. So Hashem says to Moshah, you're going to lie down here. You're going to lie with your fathers. You're going to, you're going to die. And these people, they're going to get up and they're going to go astray after the gods of the land. Um, and they're going to forsake me and they're going to break the covenant that they've made with me. Um, and I, my anger will flare up against them on that day. And I will abandon them, that he starti fanai mehem, and I will hide my countenance from them, the haya le'echol, and they will be ready prey, umitza'uhu ra'ot, rabot betarot, and they, they will, all these bad things will, many bad things will find them, and troubles will, befa- will befall them, ma'amar bayomahu, halo al ki'in elohai bekiri mitza'uni ha'ra'ot ha'ila, and then on that day they'll say, Surely it's because God, our God is not in our midst that these evils have befallen us. And I will surely keep my face hidden on that day. Because of all the evil that they have done. Because they have turned towards other gods. So when we want to ask, what is Hester Panim? What is the hiddenness of God's face? The first place that we have to look is in is in the context in which it is first introduced as a concept, which is right here. And, and I think it, we really do get a pretty clear vision. Like, what is Hester Panim? Hester Panim is when you say, when Valmar Bayomahu happens, which is, hello, al ki ein when you say, surely it is because our God is not in our midst that these evils have befallen us, then you are a person experiencing hester panim. Meaning, I think it, it sort of, it seems like from the verses that like, to, when you experience hester panim, you just know it. You know, like God is not with you and that's why these bad things are happening to you. That is the like, the experience of hester panim. So as opposed to being like, God literally has a face. You used to be able to see that face, and now you can no longer see that face. Like, I, I, I think, you know, sometimes the Torah does very comfortably use anthropomorphic language, but I actually don't think that's what's happening. I mean, it is obviously anthropomorphic language. God gives a whole other face, all that, very anthropomorphic. But I don't think it, it, I don't think it actually intends it literally here. I think it intends it as um, kind of an experience of some, of the same way that when, you know, like, we sometimes it's it's helpful to think about um god the relationship between humans and god as the relationship between two humans the rambam 
writes about this actually and in, in his um in his he talks about how it's really important to love other people because that's how we learn how to love god um and i i think that um that same kind of thing is is kind of a, a play here that they using um, human interpersonal language helps us to give voice to the way we're experiencing our relationship with God. So the same way that if you were close to someone and then they they hid their their face from you, um, and you know, and and, and like Gen Z language, we would say they ghosted you or they um, they um, stopped returning your calls or they literally like turned around and walked away while you were talking to them. I think that's the experience, the experience of we used to have a together, we used to have an us and that brought good things and that us is no longer here. I can't experience your presence. I can't experience your closeness. I think that's just just kind of the shot here of, of what's going on. Um, but it, it, the way that it's been interpreted um, throughout time, um, is is a little bit more complex and and varied than than kind of that that read that I want to put forward as just the the shot of the verses. Um, so here's just one attempt at it, and we'll see others that are a little bit more complicated over time. But here's um, Rabbi Chaim Ibn Attar, the Or Chaim. He's kind of the last person to make it onto the page in the standard Mikro Kedolo, and he's a really really beautiful commentator on the Chumash, and he says. He says, no, here's the shot. Here's, here's why this happened. Every bad thing that happens in the world is corresponds to an avera, corresponds to a sin. Because God created suffering um, to um, in I wrote this translation. I could probably <laughs> look at it. Um, they're administered in in um, in in respect to um to sins just as you get reward and that corresponds to good deeds and therefore someone who violates the entire torah or he does foreign worship which is what the, the verses said right um it's when you um, right, that's foreign worship, and that's when God will do this mysterium. God will cover God's countenance, God's face. Um, so He says, oh, or when you do the, the Gemara says that Avodah is like equal in weight to the whole Torah. What exactly that means is very complicated. Also, the number of things that the Gemara says are equal in weight to the whole Torah um, kind of undermines that project, but. Um, he's taking it literally at least. So either you did a lot, every sin, or you did a Buddha which is equal to every sin. Um, so if you violate all the Torah, then you get all of the punishment that is in the whole world. And what then, and so then what happens? And that, no wonder then that God hid his face from him. So there's two ways to read. He actually leaves open an ambiguity, which I think is kind of fun and interesting, which is, is all of the Odesh in the whole world, all of the punishment that could ever be, um, is all that punishment that could ever be the Hester Panim, meaning the Hester Panim is the punishment of all punishments, or is it like you're supposed to get every punishment that has ever existed, but God isn't going to do that for some reason, 
So therefore, God retracts and 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 um, turns and and covers his countenance or hides his countenance from us. Right? Do you see that those two options? One is that the hiding countenance is like the biggest possible punishment, and two is that we deserve every kind of any some um, when when our people as a whole um, did. Um, idolatry or turning away from God, we deserve every punishment that ever was. And in order to not give that to us, God had to like retract his countenance and hide his countenance. Um, so the Orahayim, I think, kind of leaves that open, those two different um, options of, of what this Hester Penny is. But what he, what the Orahayim really says is like, the obvious thing is that this is, everything corresponds to everything else. And that's a very specific kind of, um, kind of philosophy about like how mitzvot work um, that not everyone shares, by the way, that's, it's really important to know. And um, and he says, yeah, like, and this is how a will work. Like you just do all of, you violate all of the mitzvot and like, this is what happens. God hides his countenance from you. So what, but then he leaves open what exactly that the hiding of the countenance is. Is that in and of itself a punishment or is that you deserve every punishment so I'm gonna retract instead of giving them to you. Okay, so that's just like one kind of, beginning of, of a read of these sources. But before we go much further with that, I want to turn to Isaiah 45. This is an extremely complicated part of Isaiah. Um, and it raises so many questions that I, they're not, they're just like not the point of what we're doing here today. So I'll flag just a few of them, which is like, first of all, like what is Isaiah doing talking to Cyrus um, and um, all sorts of things like that, that we're just kind of kind of put to the side. Um, but here we have, um, oh, and just in general, like what's happening here is very complicated. I'm just going to take like one particular read in part because like, it's just not why I'm bringing it, but I'll just kind of summarize for you what happens here. So Hashem is talking through the mouthpiece of the prophet Isaiah to King Cyrus. So just a little bit of background on who King Cyrus was. King Cyrus was a Persian um, king, which is what also makes this exciting in the context of Hastara in the context of Megillat Esther is that, um, that King Cyrus is the, the, the predecessor of Ahasuerus. I guess that a little bit depends, maybe kind of depends on when you think the Megillah happened vis-a-vis -vis the return to Zion. But King Cyrus is the one who sets into motion the return to Zion um, after the first exile. And then Darius, who is his, let's say, grandson. This whole timeline is extremely confusing um, because also we have a midrash that says Darius is um, Darius is Esther's son. So that like sets the whole timeline spinning. Um, but anyways, so the relationship between Cyrus and Darius is confusing, but Cyrus allows them to go back. Darius allows them to rebuild the temple, but you still have like the Persians have defeated the Babylonians, the Persians are now in charge, and they're part of this redemptive return process. So here you have God talking to Cyrus and, and here you and 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 promising him referring to Cyrus, by the way, as the anointed one. That confusion is very important, like within the context of this um of this chapter, because what does it mean to call someone who's obviously a non-Jewish king um, the of a uh, the anointed one as if he's like a member of the Davidic monarchy, right? That's like a very just another big question here to flag, um, right? That says God to Cyrus, his anointed one, 
um, and, and, and all this, like God was Mahzik uh, Mino, God, God held up Cyrus's right hand, God, God's gonna make it possible for Cyrus to become very, you know, powerful, much before you all level the hills that loom up, I'll shatter the doors of bronze, cut down the iron bars, and why is it? So that um, it's all so that people will know Laman um so that you will know that it is I, the God of Israel. Um, and I'm doing this all like for my people, for the sake of Mana Israel, for the sake of my servant Jacob, Israel, my chosen one, um, and I will call you by name. Um, and, I, and, and so that's a part of why, you know, why is God acting through Cyrus? So that the world will know that, that God is like the singular kind of God of the world. Um, and so that they'll know, so that they'll know from the east to the west that there is none other than me. I am God, there is no God other than me. And this here is obviously the most famous verse in this parish. <laughs> Which, right, when you, you know this verse from Davening, you'll know that it's, um, in Davening we say, which the, the, the rabbis purposefully tweaked it for Davening, gets discussed in, in Masakha Krakow, but that's where, if, if you've opened this, this uh, chapter before, it's for this verse probably. Um, but right, so God is kind of introducing himself to, to King Cyrus, and saying this is the point of your success, King Cyrus, is going to be that the whole world from east to west will know that I am God. Okay, and then he kind of then then you have like a change in topic, which is it seems like there's some big questions that people would would be asking God, and that though the way there's a lot of ways to read this, but one way to read it is um, what is that question? And the question is like why are you acting through King Cyrus? Like what, where have you been all of this time? And God says like, stop asking the questions, right? Shame on who argues with his maker. Shall clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Your work has no handles. Um, and, and similarly, Shame on him who asks his father, what are you begetting? Or a woman, what are you bearing? Um, right, God just says, like, stop asking me questions about this. I am God. I made everything. Um, I, and I do it right. Um, <laughs> um, and, um, okay, then we have over here. So, um, Egypt's wealth, Nubia's gains, Sabaites' long of limb, those are people who live kind of near Ethiopia, shall pass over you and be yours, pass over and follow in fetters, bow low to you and reverently address you. Only among you is God. There is no other God at all. Meaning they're going to look at Cyrus and say, God is with you and there is one God and I'm recognizing him. And they'll come to understand then, here's the point, here's why we're doing all this. They'll then come to understand all these people who are going to be um, maybe like rebuilt or they'll, they'll come into contact with Cyrus's army or something like that. Then they're all going to say, right, that the Egyptians and the Nubians and the Sabaites, they're all going to say, 
You indeed are a God who concealed himself, O God of Israel, who bring victory. You indeed are a God who concealed himself. So God is saying, here's the point. God is saying to Cyrus, you are going to like have all this military victory. And the point of it is so people will recognize me as God. And um, when they do that, they're going to recognize me as you indeed are a God who concealed himself. And you bring victory to Israel. And then people are going to be really embarrassed that they ever worshiped idolatry. Again, this is clearly... I think this is like biblical intertextuality um, where you have, right, especially here with that immediate, you're a God who concealed God's self. And then immediately you turn to idol worshipers, right? Those who fabricate idols, all are shamed and disgraced. Um, so right, that's so resonant to what happened in Deuteronomy. You have, so, so here you have like this amazing thing happening, right? Where in Deuteronomy, God says, you're going to go worship idols. It's going to be really bad for you. I'm going to conceal my face from you on that day. And then here you have on the return, right? After, so that happened, right? That, let's, let's assume that happened. We have the exodus. We, we have that, sorry, we have the exile. We have now the return. And in the return, how do we recognize God? We recognize God as the God who has concealed himself. And that's at the other end, right? God says, I'm going to kick you out. I'm going to conceal my face. And now, and that ostensibly happened in like the land of this, of this chapter of Isaiah. And now in the return, everyone's going to come to realize, oh, that happened. And God is a God who conceals his face. Just, just like in a, a really interesting moment where it's not just like, oh, hey, God, like you're back and you're the same God as before. Like, no, there's something really deep happening about God, like being seen as this God of concealment um, upon the return. So we have um, this moment with Ibn Ezra here. Um, so Ibn Ezra on this just wants to make sure we understand that it's not just that God was Nistar, it's not just that God was hidden, it's that God was Nistater, he was the Hitpael, he was concealed himself. Um, um, and okay, that's I think the only thing I wanted to bring out from Ibn Ezra is just that, and, and, but, but what's interesting about, or the reason why I brought Ibn Ezra is just because um, I think there's like I, it, the, the possibility of Kalmistat, of, of star versus Kalmistater is very important. And you don't really think about like what alternatives it could have been until now, right? That, oh, it could be that God, God's face was hidden because we did something, we put something in between ourselves and God or something like that. And then Vanessa comes along here to say, don't think that, don't even imagine that God did it to himself, which is obviously what the curse in Devarim says, I will hide my own face. And here you have God saying, or God saying, yes, or, or people, God saying, you will recognize me as the God who hides himself. Um, it, right, it's very important to say, not that someone else hid me or there's some other power that's capable of doing that, it's God acting that way, kind of on, on God, God acting onto himself in that way. This is what the Ibn Ezra points out. Um, and here we have the Malbim who tries to, who does the same motion that, that happened internally in Devarim 
of kind of comparing it to the way people interact with each other. So here's the, the Malbim's explanation. Therefore, verily, we see now that you are a God who conceals himself. You are similar to someone who hides himself from his friends so that they can't see him. But the person who's hiding can still see his friend. So, so God hides himself because of the sins of Israel, but just for a time. And it is such that they cannot see God's oversight of them. But actually, you see them, and you're overseeing them. If you're, if you're, if you're a Shir Hashirim person, if you're a song to songs person, a song of songs person, then you know this language, right? That God, that God, that God is looking in between the cracks, in between the crevices. Um, because God is the God of Israel and their Savior also at this time. So just like, again, what is this hiding? It is a hiding that God did for God's self. And the Malbim kind of explains what, what would that look like, right? There's two kinds of hiding. There's the, the hiding where like, I, I put you in a closet. And there's the hiding where you put yourself into a closet. Um, and you're, you look out through the, through the crack in the door or the crack under the door. Um, so you can still see everything that's going on. That's kind of the way that the Malbim is describing it. All right. Um, Okay, so let's let's move on to some of the like rabbin, early rabbinic interpretations here. Um, this is this Gemara in Chagiga is amazing. Like if you remember nothing else that we have learned together tonight, this Gemara in Chagiga is it. Um, okay, so the Gemara says, Right, that's our those are our verses um, from from Devarim. I will. My anger will be against them on that day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them. Amar of Bardla, Bartavumi, Amarav, Kol She'ino Behester Panin, Eino Mehem. Anyone who is not subject to the hiding of the face of God is not from them, is not a member of the Jewish people. What an intense thing to say. If you have not experienced the hiding of God's face, you are not from among them. Okay, so what the way... Rashi interprets this is what is Rashi says what is hysterpanium and, and they the Koran sacks people roll it into the English here but they say a person whose prayers are invariably answered and and we'll get I didn't bring you the Rashi because we'll get to why they think that's what it is um and and similarly um the um Rav Bardla Bartavumi says in the name of Rav also which is the, the next verse there anyone who is not part of and they shall be devoured um it, meaning there it seems like by all the in the psukim it's like by all these terrible things that will happen to you and you will be set out as prey um rob says similarly if you have not had the experience of like being put out to be devoured then you're similarly you're not a member of the jewish people so rashi again here interprets the gentiles don't steal your money but but i do want to say like that's a really intense line. This idea that if you have not had this experience of God's hiddenness, and if you've not experienced these curses of Devarim 31, you're not a member of the Jewish people. 
which is amazing in a few ways. One, it's like really sad, right? Like there cool, couldn't there be a version of the Jewish people where we don't experience this hiddenness in that way? On the other hand, it means that the curse is actually what binds us together. And experience of the curse is actually what makes you an insider. And that the hardship is actually what binds all of the Jews together. So when, because sometimes we experience suffering and we experience pain and it's so lonely and we feel like I must be the only person who's struggling like this. And here we're saying, here you have this vision of suffering that's like, no, actually like the suffering is kind of like mandatory. <laughs> you have to suffer in order to become part of the collective because that's what it is. That's what it is to be a Jew in the diaspora, um, in the Jew in, in a world of hysterophanim, in a world where these curses are live. Otherwise we would be in Israel in the messianic times. Um, then you have to have this experience. That's what it means. Um, but I think it's just a really, really like intense um, read by Rob. Um, we'll do, we'll, we'll, we're gonna finish this tomorrow and then I haven't been keeping an eye on the chat. It's hard to do that when you're sharing your screen, but then I'll open the chat after this. Um, okay, so then the rabbis say, this is where Rashi gets at this next part. Amru le'erabanan le'erava. So the rabbis said to Rava, oh, so they say to Rava, hold on, you don't, your prayers are heard and the, the Gentiles don't seem to take your stuff. So <laughs> are you a member of us? Like your life seems like it's too good. Like you're not part of this project. Um, and he says to them, you guys don't know how much I bribed the Shwar Malka is, the, is the, the Persian King Shapur at the time of Reva and Reva is like best buddies with his mom if we're hormies for people who are kind of like holding in that set of, of Talmudic stories um he says you don't know I send them loads of bribes um but even even then the rabbis put their eyes on him they um you know this is this is kind of the, the like it's like an eye and hara kind of thing but even with like kind of almost magical capabilities um and so because the rabbis like set their eyes on him maybe with like, jealousy or maybe with whatever certain kind of curse or something they um the, the um messengers from the from the house of king shapur sent him and they imprisoned him so Rava here says, oh, this is what this is what what um or Urban Shomengamiel said, any place, any any time where the rabbis kind of set their eyes on someone, that person either dies or becomes um poor. Okay, so that's the end of that little story, but just like that's how we get to this idea that um that that Esther Panim is your prayers aren't answered and Vayala Echol is that the non-Jews take your money is from, I think that's how Rashi gets there at least from, from, uh, from that little story. Um, but I think, I think that's like actually a quite narrow read of, of Rav compared to, I don't know, at least like I would love to read it kind of more broadly than just specifically like what is Esther Panim your prayers aren't answered or if that's what it is then the answering of prayers is something like a little bit more robust than like I prayed for a teddy bear and lo, God gave me a teddy bear. Um, that, that would be another, another kind of resolution there. Um, okay, so just another another read that's brought here in the Gemara and Chagiga, 
who brings the R verse when yes, there are steer panai beyomahu. Amar Rava, Amar Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Rava says, God says, Af al pishi starti panai mehem. Even though I have hidden my face from them, b'chaloma daber bo, I will still appear to them in a dream. This language of b'chaloma daber bo comes from the the parts of of um from midbar that talk about prophecy. So you can have a world of hester panim and still have prophecy, which is really makes a lot of sense once you understand that like Ezekiel is having his prophecy from the Gola. Um, like you have to be able to explain both Hester Panim and Ezekiel at the same time. So I think that's really where Rava is coming from, where you can have God's face be hidden and we're in exile and still you have a prophet Ezekiel seeing the <laughs> seeing like the Merkava and all of that like really intense stuff. So um so so Rav has to make sense of it. Um so he says, yes, like there's still prophecy, even though my face is hidden. Um but Rav Yosef said, and or Rav Yosef, I don't know whether he, I mean Rav Yosef and Rava could well have been in conversation with each other and could have been disagreeing with each other, but not um not necessarily. Um so here we have Rav Yosef saying, um Yadon No, that's or in addition, or no, uh, what it means is that God's hand is outstretched, guarding over us. As it says, I have covered you in the shadow of my hand. Um, and that version to me is, especially because we live in an exile in which we do not have prophecy, that version um, by review safe to me is like a very, very um, personally like meaningful and powerful read of, of um, what, what can be true even with Hastara, that you can have Hastarpanim and still have a hand stretched out guarding over us. Um, okay, so here's Sforno on Devarim. And, and this is going to set us off into like a, a slightly different but still related understanding. So, so far we've seen uh, I forget what that Shylock quote was, but it put it so well, right? Like suffering, suffering is how you know you're in. We've seen um, God self-identify as like I am the God who hides God's self. I am Kalmistate. We have seen um, the hand. We've seen prophecy. Okay, those are all different kind of descriptions of like what it means to live with a God who describes God's self as Kalmistater, as, as a hidden God. Um, so here's Sforno. Sforno says, I will um, hide my face from them. It's not what they thought when they said, I'm not with you. Because any place that they're going to be, my presence, my shechina will go with them, as it says in Masachet Megillah, Makom HaKom Shagalu which is what we'll look at in a second. Aval astir panai mehatzman. I'm with them wherever they go, but my face is hidden from saving them. So I'm with them, but I don't save them. Okay, here's the Gemara Masachet Megillah. Where this comes from. Come and see how beloved the Jewish people are before the Holy One. Because every place that they 
went every place that they were exiled to, the God's presence went with them. They went down to Egypt. The presence went with them. We're going to skip the text here just to preserve some time. They were exiled to Babel and, and um, God's presence went with them. Um, and um, um, and even in the future, when they, in, in any future time, when they, oh, and even though in the future they will um, be redeemed, the Shekhinah still goes with them. Um, God will return with your captivity. It doesn't say he will bring back Ella the Shav, rather, he will return. Teaches us that God will return with us from where we are exiled, which means that God was, was there wherever we were exiled to. So, what the Scorner is doing with this, meaning this Gemara doesn't actually say anything about Esther Pani, and that's not the point. The point is that God goes with us wherever we are exiled to, and then returns with us and takes as evidence um, from a little bit before where, where our, our kind of location is in Devarim, where God promises that God will come back. It's not that God will bring us back, but that God, God God's self will come back, which shows that um, God was there with us um, and therefore is coming back. And the Sforno says that is the Sforno's idea of Esterpanim, which is God is there, but just covered. Um, and that's also what Sforno, the question that Sforno and everyone else here is asking, right, is was it like meaning it could just be that God's not there? You could just not have God there. Um, what does it mean that God is there but hidden? And that's what a lot of these are coming to answer. Where God is, God is there. You just can't see Him. God is there. He just doesn't save or doesn't save immediately from the from your current. So that was all. Um, we're gonna we're gonna jump forward a bunch of hundreds of years now, even from the Sforno. We're now gonna jump forward to Lukatim Moharan who's going to take Hastara in a very different way. So until now, we said, meaning that's been the, the Hastara until now of like, you know, people steal things from us or we're oppressed and God doesn't save us, which I think we can all say like, yeah, those are certainly part of our, um, those are certainly part of the Jewish experience. But the Likutei Moharan, I think, is going, is going to take this, it, I know, is going to take this in a different direction. And, and to, connected to Likutei Moharan, I think, is that, is that hand hovering over us. Uh, at least the, the way, the way I, I like to understand the hand, um, the hand that hovers over us. Okay. So Likutei Moharan says as follows. Um, oh, so one, one thing that's important to know about Renachman of Breslev, um, is he lived a short and painful life full of suffering. Um, and he, he's like a Rebbe who really understood suffering and who really understood how in suffering you can just feel like so in the hole and so far away from God. Um, and, and here he's really talking about depression. When Rebbe, I'll, just, I'll just say it. Um, when Rebbe Nachman is talking about Hastara, he's talking about depression. And like not just kind of national suffering or oppression by the other, but even the sort of internal like deep sadness and oppression and, and feeling of of hiddenness. So here's um, are we gonna read this whole thing? All right, we'll we'll, we'll start it. I definitely want to make sure we see the Kushas Levi before we finish. So we'll do like 
I don't know, six or seven minutes of Likutei Maran, and then Zong Kedusha Slevi, and then and then we'll go. Okay, so here's Likutei Maran. Kiyishte Hasarot. There's two levels of concealment. When God is hidden in a single concealment, it's very hard to find him. When God is hidden in just one level of hiddenness, you can work really hard and then you can find him. Because in the first level of Hastara, the first level of concealment, you know that God is concealed from you. And therefore, right, you know that God is concealed from you, so you can just work to like take down the concealment potentially. When you have the second level of concealment, concealment within a concealment, such that that first concealment, that concealment is also concealed. Which that means you don't even know that God is there, but concealed from you. You don't even know what that concealment is there. You don't even know God is there. That's the hastara shabadulah hastara. Azai iyashar klalim toto. That's when you're really in trouble. That's when your hard work is not going to get you there. Because you're so far removed from God, you don't even know God is there, but hidden. This is what it means when it says, I will thoroughly hide. That's the hastara within the hastara. That's the concealment within the concealment. Where you don't even know that God is hidden. Okay, um, here. I just skipped to the end of that paragraph. Um, but the truth is, even within all of the levels of concealment, there's a there's a tune that's almost this, and the words aren't exactly the what 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 we have of Arinachan. But even um, in the hiddenness that's within the hiddenness, even within there, God is enclosed there as well. Because there is nothing that doesn't have, the way I like to translate chies is like a, a life force spark. Um, someone said to me recently that, one time I was teaching this text and someone said to me um, that Marie Kondo has done more for chies than anyone in a long time because she talks about things sparking joy. Um, and that's really like, you know, inanimate objects in our lives sparking joy. And that's like a good way to get at what this concept of chiyas is, um, that, that you can find within everything, the life force of God. Um, because if it didn't have the chiyas of God, then it wouldn't exist. God gives everything chiyas. God gives anything that exists has the life-giving force of God in it, and therefore anything that exists has God in it. Therefore, in anything, in all actions, in all thoughts, God is concealed within it. Even if you do, even if you violate a commandment, you sin, and that's against the will of God, with that, it still exists. Meaning you did a sin, but the sin still exists. And therefore, 
you can find God in that too, because that, in order for it to exist, it must have the chiyas of God in it. Even though God is hidden and contracted there. Right, the Torah is, is a piece of what brings this life force into the world. Um, and even, even when you do, even when you violate it, even when you, when you sin, it's still, even when you sin, there's still the Torah there kind of hidden, cold. Um, even though it's very concealed in a manner, an aspect of concealment. So what you have then is a way out. Um, what you have is concealment. And it, is actually the concealment within the concealment where you can't even tell that there's concealment. You can't even tell that God is there. But just like the search for the hand or finding God in a dream, you have this opportunity or, or the recognition that God is with us, even though God maybe doesn't intervene wherever we are in our diasporas, God has come with us there. Everything that exists gives us in the eyes of Rabbi Nachman an opportunity to see God because the fact that it exists teaches us that there is a God that made it exist and that's an opening to find God, opening to find Torah. So for, and, and, and Rabbi Nachman, that's then a way out of pit because within the pit of your depression, of the sadness, of the hiddenness, of the estrangement, there's still something even the beginnings of a recognition of I'm sad, I'm estranged, I'm hurting. There's still something there. And that in and of itself, the, that, that, that speaking those words gives you then the ability to say, how do I know I'm sad? I got that ability from God or something like that. And then now all of a sudden, you only have one level of concealment because you know that there even is a God, you just know that you can't find God. Um, and that's now, now you kind of overcome at least one level of hastara. So there's always a, there's always a rope ladder, um, says Rina. Okay. I'm gonna move on to the Kedushas Levi, um, the Verdichaver. We just, it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit lighter and it's a little bit more beautiful than Rina and then we'll tie it all together. So the Verdichaver says, in the name of the Baal Shem Tov, on this verse, Huina Aginu Amut, leads us onwards eternally, it is a parable of a parent. Oh, I should mention, I learned this um, previously from, from a teacher who's often at Drisha Rabbi Ariel, right after Ariel Mays. He says, it's a parable for an Noah Our father is teaching a small child to walk. And when the child walks two or three steps towards the father, the father then takes a few steps further back so that the child will keep walking. Further and further and further. And this is how it comes to be that God calls himself the God of concealment. When a tzaddik serves God, you will always say, I haven't, I haven't reached, I haven't reached the yet. I'm not there. And I'm farther, I'm so far from God. And the reason why Tzadik feels that way is Kadeshi's Kareba Tzadik Yoter, so that Tzadik will come closer. And this is what it means 
leads us onwards eternally. God will, will lead us onwards, not eternally, not alumot, but alume, like a child. And he'll draw near every time. Um, so I just want to wrap up in two minutes and just uh, kind of kind of tell you where where we've come. So we started with a um, we started with with the the Talmud almost playfully connecting Esther to this curse of Esther and and what we know is that Esther and is and the Megillah is this like book of it takes place outside of Israel. It is this book of Galut. It is this book of the Jewish condition outside of the land of Israel under foreign rule. And the Talmud playfully connects it to the curses in the Bible, which say, you will serve other gods and I will exile you and I will continue my faith in you. And so then what we, and, and, and that as then is a theme in the Megillah of concealment, right? And that's what we'll, we'll be talking about more with, with Rabbi Silver right after this. Um, but what is concealment? And what does it mean to have God is there, but God is concealed? How do we conceptualize that? So maybe that is God follows us, but he doesn't intervene. That's the Sornos read of the Gemara and Megillah. Maybe it's that God, um, God, we can't see God, but there's some kind of shading happening over us. God's hand is outstretched, almost like covering us, but also reaching out towards us potentially. Um, God can still appear to us in dreams. We can still have this like prophetic closeness with God potentially. And the experience of God's distance and God's face being covered from us, that has actually become almost constitutive, especially in the Galut, of like, what it means to be a Jew. And I think that's where almost like Rabbi Nachman really like drills into that of, okay, like what does it mean to have that experience. So in the story in the Gemara, you have Rava just saying, it's really hard to be a Jew. And Rabbi Nachman says, it's actually more than that. Like it actually means this like deep feeling of distance from God and of almost like nihilism, so much distance from God that I don't even know that I'm feeling distance from God because I don't even know from God anymore. And 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 then this 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 charge of work of I have to like dig myself out of that. Um, by by training myself to find God in this hidden way through God's chiyas, that even in the most hidden ways, even when it's full of sin and suffering, there's still this, this life force. The existence itself can teach us about God, and we have to learn how to find God in that hidden existence, that chiyas all around us. And then there's some words of comfort from who says, yes, and the reason why God is far away is not because God is so far away, it's because every time we come closer to God, God takes a little step further. God is Bishita hidden from us, but he's also not that far and he's pushing us towards growth. And I just want to end with a little, um, with just a word of, of bracha from um, Psalm 91, Yoshim uh, you who dwell in the in the hiddenness of Most High and abide in the protection of God, 
I say the Lord, my refuge and my stronghold, my God in whom I trust, that he will save you from the fowler's trap and from the destructive plague. Um, so may we all find God in the hiddenness, this poem, in the same way that God appears through the Megillah without being explicit, do the work of finding God in, through the chiyas, through the life force, in the little bits here and there, whatever we can find in our own homes, in these hard, sad, difficult times. And may God, please, someday very, very soon, come out of the Seder Alion and save us from the destructive plague. Um, with that, happy Purim. <laughs> um, and I'll give everyone, I'm happy to stick around here for another two minutes and then uh, but people can also feel free to, to log off and to head over to Rabbi Silver's, uh, to Rabbi Silver's room. All right, it seems like we're good. <laughs> All right. Thank okay, you so thanks. much for coming, everyone. Thank you, Rabbi Nitzerna, Sarna, and thank you. Thank you, everyone who joined us today here on Zoom and Risha Live and on Facebook. I hope you join our next class that starts right now in one minute. Uh, with Rabbi David uh, Silver on searching for God in Megillah Esther. Uh, and we have many more classes happening right now. You can go on our website, www.drisha.org slash classes uh, to find more classes. And I hope to see you soon.